0: All right, everybody, let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats. We're going to get into God's Word today. Who's ready for the Word of the Lord? Amen. Part of you are. All right. That'll be great. Speak to half the church today. That's awesome. No, I'm kidding. All right. It is so good to be with you. Again, um, things like that happen. I appreciate uh, your sincerity and your love for Haley and I and our family, our girls. And uh, it's good to be a part of a church family Uh, I know you have expectations of us, but at the same time, you don't just lord it over our lives and expect perfection. And so thank you for allowing us to be real, human, and in pursuit of all that God has along with you. So we love you, and we are thankful uh, to be a part of your lives here at this church. Listen, as Thomas pointed out, we are, I'm serving this year as the president of Jackson Area Ministerial Association. And so um, this week, this Thursday, is uh, National Day of Prayer, in case you didn't know that. It's National Day of Prayer, um, and it's something we need to pay attention to and participate in. Uh, for here in our city, there's a couple of different ways uh, that you can participate. First, there's, there is a Mayor's Prayer Breakfast On Thursday morning at 7 a.m. is the breakfast and around 7.30 uh, the program of prayer will begin and it all ends about 8.15, 8.20 Uh, and so would like to personally invite you out to that it's seven dollars to come to that breakfast that you can just come that morning and pay seven bucks cash there. Uh, it's at the Civic Center uh, near, near the downtown area, but uh, that's Thursday. Then also on Thursday at 12 noon, we will also have prayer at the Madison County Courthouse right in the downtown square at 12 noon up until about 1245. There will be a program put together and there will be a time of prayer for the city of Jackson, the county of Madison to come together on this National Day of Prayer uh, to um, to pray together and incidentally the theme for national day of prayer this year is unity out of ephesians four three unity. And so I love it if some of you, if not all of you, can make it to one or both of those. I realize it's not always possible, but if you can, I'd love to see your faces there as we come together. There's going to be probably seven or 800 people, uh, if not more, on the prayer breakfast, and then 100 or so that I know will be at the noonday prayer. Uh, so anyway, want to extend that invitation to you and love, love it if you could be there. Let's get ready to get into God's Word. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And as you, get, as you turn there, we're going to take a minute and pray over the Word today. Father, we come before you today with humble hearts and open lives, seeing and realizing our great need for you. God, as we sing earlier in this segment of, t- of worship that uh, we reach out, we find you. We will find you if we will just seek after you. So this morning, we open your Word to do just that. We want to not only just sit here and hear it, but we want to be able to listen to it, and we want it to go into our lives, work into our hearts, Lord. Your Word has power. Your Word is transforming. And so, Lord, we give you our attention now in these next few minutes. Speak to us. Just put your hand over your heart and say, God, speak to me. Speak to me. I'm here to listen. Help me deliver it, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Everybody can say, amen, amen. Last week, we uh, started a series that we're calling Revival God Encounters, and we spoke for a few minutes last week out of the book of Joshua, the first chapter, the first 8, nine, ten verses about crossing over and moving forward and being determined that no matter what, we're going to be all in and go forward with what God has for our lives. And I know we say that a lot. We might think that a lot. may pray things like that a lot. But how, uh, ever so often, that type of commitment gets tested. It gets tested and it, and it gets uh, pushed against by the enemy in our lives. Uh, it gets pushed back against to see are we really sure? Are we really going to make it? Are we really going to commit to moving forward with what the Lord has? And so uh, today we're going to look at a, a, a one of the disciples, uh, John, actually, and uh, and just kind of talking a little bit about revival, I want to make a few statements about it first. Revival is not a series of meetings, church meetings, if you will. Certainly those are part of the big picture of how the church gathers and is inspired and moved by the power of God and touched by the power of God. But revival is about a restoration to life, a restoration to use. It's about a, a, an awakening to the divine. And obviously, we know who the divine is, our God. And it's when the heart and the soul of humanity connect with divinity. Revival. It's that, that which was dead must now live. That which was rendered useless is now resurrected to be useful. That's a picture of our life. That we once were dead, coming alive in Christ. We were once useless, but now in Jesus we have been resurrected to be useful on this planet for the glory and the kingdom of God. Revival is the state of living in, the, in constant awareness of the living God every day of our life. It's not about a feeling. As James admonished us earlier, uh, that our hearts may feel one thing, but the truth of the matter about the Lord is another thing. And so it's about living in that state of awareness before our living God every day. Living in this life on this planet In this flesh, the thing is, we can get lulled to spiritual sleep. And it leaves us unaware of the tactics and the strategies of the devil towards our life. That if we're not careful, we can just kind of get lulled to spiritual sleep. The Bible tells us on different occasions to be alert, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to pay attention. Because our adversary is like a roaring lion, roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. And it requires us as, as people of faith, people who are born again in Christ, to pay attention, to not just kind of coast through life and kind of go through the motions and to get caught up in the cares of this world and in the hustle and the bustle of life and the pace that this world sets for us. No, we have a choice in this matter. We have a choice as as to how we will live our life for the Lord. Will we live it for the cares of this world? Will we live this life for the temptations of the devil? Will we live our life for the satisfaction of our flesh? Or will we live it with the determination to fulfill our destiny that's been given to us by our divine creator. And if we choose that, then here's the thing. If we desire to live for the glory of God, then we must live encountering the glory of God. Then if we want got, we sing the song, show us your glory, show us your glory. Those aren't just empty words and empty prayers. Lori even admonished us in that is how we say it and, and, and how it comes forth with sincerity from our hearts. Show us your glory. And if we are to live our lives for the glory of God and have families that grow in the glory of God, then church, it requires us to live encountering the glory of God. To not, it's not something to be afraid of, but it's His glory that changes us, His glory that transforms us, His glory that works in our life and has, and has a way of just working itself into crevices of our heart into the secret chambers of our soul to where it works the, the, the bad out and the good in, so to speak. See, His glory is spectacular. His glory is majestic. And his glory is for our everyday life. That it's not just reserved for a service, a church gathering, a revival meeting. No, his glory is intended. That's who we are called, that's what we are called to pursue and called to live in his glory doesn't mean we live with our heads in the clouds and we have no idea about humanity and what's going on in this world and what's happening in our friends' lives, what's happening in our neck of the woods, what's, the, what's going on with our own set of problems, our own set of issues. But here's the thing, if we're not careful, we can allow all that other stuff to become so magnified that it creates a screen in front of our God. Right. And so our faith eyes will no longer see God We'll see our problems. We'll see our issues. We'll see the things that we deal with and struggle with on a daily basis. And it's not that those things aren't important or that those things aren't real. It's just that God's glory is greater than those things. And we're called to be people of light. We're called to be people of life. We're called to be people of hope. Even in a gym that has a bird flying in it. Guess it's that time of the year. <laughs> the birds. It's what we get for being out in the country, right? It's okay. And so here's the thing we're going to look here at John's life for the next hour and a half that we've got, okay? I tease you, I tease you, I tease you. I got to be somewhere in a little bit anyway, so you're all good. Uh. So we're going to look at John. And I just want to pull out three things about John's life that that really stick out. If we get to all three, we will. If not, I'll just do one and we'll keep the others for another time. But here's the thing. John, he was a human. He was a fisherman. He was a disciple who ended up becoming an apostle. Now, the thing about John is when he became an apostle, he didn't lose his humanity. To be an apostle didn't mean he stopped being human and had these supernatural powers, uh, like the Avengers. Okay, didn't didn't he didn't didn't lose his humanity to become an apostle? No, God used him as a human to be an apostle, meaning he 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 was recognized as an authority figure in the church on this earth to do some things for God, and we'll we'll, we'll get to those things. But the thing about it is, it was it was John's ordinary added uh, with God, it's supernatural. So John's ordinary plus God equals extraordinary. You follow me? John's ordinary plus God equals extraordinary. And believe it or not, we are all called to live extraordinary lives. Not famous. Don't mistake extraordinary for famous. All right? Hollywood didn't write the Bible. God did. He's the only famous one there ever is ever has been and ever will be. Jesus is the only one that's supposed to be in the spotlight, and he wants to shine in our life. Alright? So, John's ordinary plus God equals extraordinary. And we need to understand, everybody in this book here were ordinary. But with God, they became extraordinary. You and I are ordinary, but with God, we can live extraordinary. I want to live extraordinary. Extraordinary. I want to live extraordinary. Even on my bad day, even on my worst day, I want to know I lived extraordinary. Even on the solid, rock-solid days, man, the days that I can put all pluses up there and say, I rocked it today, Jesus. I want to know that I lived extraordinary, and it wasn't me who did it. It was Jesus in me, the hope of glory that did it. See, folks, that is part of living revival lives. And John, here it is, three ways. John, he encountered God in three ways. First of all, John leaned into Jesus. He lived leaning into Jesus. Look at it in John chapter 13. It says, The disciple that Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, Hey, psst, who is he talking about? So that disciple, John, leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? See, this disciple John, he was named the disciple that Jesus loved, or John the Beloved. Okay, And in John's book, he never references himself as John. He just says, the other disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) He got to talk about himself that way because, well, it was true. But you always see that in John's leaning into Jesus, that just means he was close. He lived close to Jesus. And as always you see in the, in the Gospels, you see it's Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The Rat Pack, they were always together. Those three, and then it was the one. John was always found leaning in to Jesus. He was close to him. John was present at all the miracles. John's Gospel highlights eight miracles that Jesus did. And after the first five miracles that Jesus did, by the time you get to chapter six, it gets kind of a long chapter, but Jesus is having this heart to heart talk with these crowds of disciples who are following him. And it said in John 6 6 6 that it said, at that point, many of the disciples turned from following the Lord. And Jesus looked to his original 12, whom John was a part of, and he says, Are you guys going to leave also? Are you going to leave also? But if you read on, we discovered that no, they, they didn't leave. John stayed close to Jesus. When everybody else was leaving the church, John stayed close. When everybody else was running out on the Lord, John stayed close. When Jesus was preaching that hard truth to him. John stayed close. John was found at the cross. Of Jesus, And John was also found at the empty tomb of Jesus. By that time, there wasn't a whole lot left. Everybody was scattered and and scared. But there was John at the cross, and there was John at the empty tomb. You might say, man, I, I don't know that I feel real close to God sometimes. Will He even acknowledge me? Will He turn to me? And the answer is yes. That if you will turn to Him... He will turn to you. Draw near to the Lord, and He draws near to you. We were admonished in that this morning by James. So are we leaning on Jesus, not just for support, He certainly is that, but are we leaning on Jesus to be close to Him, to touch Him? Are we leaning on Jesus because we want to be with him, love this old hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, Leaning on the everlasting arms. Safe and secure from all alarms, Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, Leaning on the everlasting arms. Whose arms are we leaning on? Do you want to be close to the Lord? Then it means we got to lean on Him. Certainly lean on Him in dependency and trust, but lean on Him to communicate and say to Him, Lord, I just want to to be close to you. Because sometimes I find myself talking to the Lord about all the things I want from Him. And it's oftentimes in those moments that the Holy Spirit pricks my heart and I'm reminded, hey, I just want to be close to you. I don't really want anything from you. I, don't, I, don't, I can't say, I mean, I do need things. Yeah, I've got needs, I've got things, but I just want to be Close. There's something to be said about a disciple who's willing to stay close to the Lord when things aren't going their way, right? Number two, uh, John, he lived listening to Jesus. In other words, he was open. He lived listening. Look at it in... um, John's Gospel, chapter 21. You guys following me? You with me? Are you asleep? If you're asleep, you wouldn't answer anyway, would you? John 21, verse 1. It says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is his after the resurrection. So this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. What a bummer. Anybody ever been in that kind of position? You feel like you have just spun your wheels all day, and you feel like you got nowhere? At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach... But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? <laughs> he, he says fellows. Probably down south would say, fellas, you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, hey, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved, John, talking about himself, said to Peter, Hey, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Naked fisherman. Here's what I want you to catch is, they're fishing, they catch nothing. Jesus, standing on the, on the beach, cries, yells out to him, Hey, you caught anything? No. Throw your net out on the right side, you'll get some fish. So Jesus speaks. John says, Peter, that's the Lord. I don't know how many times I've probably been in a position where I insisted on doing things my way, and the whole time the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, saying, No do it this way. If you'll just do it this way, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache and time and energy and money and whatever else it is. But I know nobody in here has been like that, but that's how I've been sometimes. And he he speaks, do it this way. They did it. They see, okay, that worked. But they still didn't catch who it was. And John because he had an ear to listen, because his life was open. He said, Peter, that's the Lord. In fact, it was John who, who, who cataloged and wrote, chronicled the, the, Jesus' words in John 10, where Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. The voice of a stranger they will not follow. And that whole conversation leads up to the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus said, I have come to bring life abundantly. John wrote that. Jesus spoke it. John heard it. And John remembered, hey, that voice is the voice of our shepherd. In fact, John, just prior to this chapter, in chapter 20, right after the resurrection, it said that the disciples were afraid of the Jews, so they locked themselves up in a room. And then it said, Jesus came into that room, and he stood there, and he said, peace, peace. So all the fears, the anxieties of John and the other disciples' hearts, their thoughts that were their mind just racing, anybody ever have a mind that races sometimes, maybe you can't... Seem to go to sleep at night. Maybe you wake up thinking about stuff. Maybe you wake up as soon as you open your eyes. Your, mind, your mind's going 100 miles an hour. And Jesus is trying to say, peace. Peace. But here's the deal. Our hearts can't receive what our ears can't listen to. You remember that old story in First Kings 19 where Elijah is running away from the Lord and he's up in a cave in a mountain and the Lord visits him and says, hey, what are you doing here? And he says some things and he says, just, wait a minute, there comes, this earth, there comes this windstorm and it said the Lord was not the windstorm. Then comes the earthquake and the Lord wasn't in the earthquake and it came the fire and it said the Lord wasn't in the fire and then it said, and then a still, small voice. See, here's the problem with the American church today mostly. We want all the pop and circumstance or pomp and circumstance, and we want all the lights and the glitter and the big stuff happening, but we can't seem to quiet ourselves down long enough to just hear the still small voice. <laughs> he's not always in the thunder, he's not always in the lightning and the fire. just is in that still, small voice. In a world that's loud, Jesus' voice is louder when we are the quietest. When we just shut up, right? And we listen. I know that's a whole lot easier said than done. But oftentimes, Jesus was found saying words like this, He who has an ear, listen. He'll rattle off and say some things, and he said, Now, he who has an ear, listen. Let's look at what wisdom tells us to do in Proverbs 2, verse 2. He says, So that your ear is attentive to skillful and godly wisdom. Ear, attentive. Apply your heart to understanding. Seeking it conscientiously and striving for it eagerly. How about that? Is there more to that or is that it? Is that it? Okay. But listen to that. Look at that. See that your ear is attentive and apply your heart by seeking it conscientiously and striving for it eagerly. Meaning, look, we got to work real hard to not work hard. I mean, we got to work real hard to just sit still. Now, it doesn't mean we don't ever do anything. It doesn't mean you're not active. It doesn't mean you're not proactive. It doesn't mean you don't have ambition. It doesn't mean you don't have drive. It doesn't mean you're not, you don't have anything going and pushing you and wanting to go. But here's the thing. We've got to make sure in all our getting and living that we listen. Whose voice are you listening to the most? John lived listening to Jesus. Now, the thing about this is we get to this last one. You guys got a couple minutes? Amen. Okay. Number three, here's where it goes. Here's where it gets to. Uh, can you guys, band, come back? I just want to roll through that song that you wrote. Uh, whoever wrote that. Beautiful, I Find You or I Will Find You. Yeah, man. I didn't. Uh, it's awesome. Awesome song. So don't mind them. They're just going to get back on stage. We don't, we're not blessed with like a curtain that goes all the way across. You can't see what's happening. So try to look at right here as best as you can. Last verse. John 9. Or excuse me. We're going to go over to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at this last thing here. Because here's the thing. We're going to look at this last thing about John. John lived leaning. Into Jesus. He was close. John lived listening to Jesus. He had an open life. And here's where it gets really, where it starts to just take off, and we begin to see how John the ordinary plus God equals extraordinary, which really is a life of revival because John is living in the encountering part of God. This is his life, this is his flow, this is his balance, this is his thing. You want to know how to live an extraordinary life? Look right here at John. He leaned in, he listened, but then lastly, John learned. He lived a life learning from Jesus, meaning this, he was willing. God can do a whole lot with someone who's willing. God can do extraordinary things with people who are just willing. I'm not talking about perfection I'm not talking about people who just have it all together, who dot their I's and cross their T's and mind their manners all the time and got it going on like Donkey Kong. I'm talking about people who are just willing. Lord, make me willing, because sometimes I don't want to be willing. Sometimes I'm willing to do my will and not His will. Lord, make me willing. Look at it, Luke chapter 9, verse forty. John, now Luke gets to mention John. He's talking about John now. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Or in In the New King James' is, do not forbid him, for he who is not against you is on our side. Next verse. Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up that He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem. And He sent messengers before His face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for Him. But those Samaritans did not receive Him because His face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. They didn't want Him to stick around. And here's what happened. When the disciples, James and John, who? James and John, who are we talking about? John when they saw this, they said, "Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? you want us to light them up come on you they, they're not they don't want you you want us to take them out they're not having anything to do with you right now you want us just to But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And last verse, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now John, he ended up getting the nickname after that story in his brother and James, the Sons of Thunder, because of that. They were passionate They were loyal. They were committed. He was close to Jesus. He was listening to Jesus. But the test to whether or not he would be extraordinary would be could he learn? Could he learn? And so you see, in John's life, Like he was part of the first four of the disciples who were called to follow the Lord. Jesus walked up to John and he he saw them in their boat and he said, Will you follow me? I want you to follow me. And it said they were willing. They left everything at that moment. Three and a half years ago, they left everything to follow him. Now here's the thing. You can play behind me. It'd be perfect. Thank you. John shows up after the resurrection in Acts chapter 2. He's with Peter on the day of Pentecost. And Peter ends up preaching the sermon. John puts a few thoughts out there. And 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. Here's the extraordinary. Because John was willing learn, God used his life. I don't know, I can't tell you how many people I've come across in my short amount of time on earth who just are not willing to learn. And it keeps them held hostage to their past because they just refuse to learn. then in the next chapter, Acts 3 it's it's Peter and John said they're going to a prayer service and outside the temple there's this man who is who can't walk and he's a beggar and he's asking for money and it's Peter and John who speak to the man and bring healing to the man's life radically changing his life and as a result Jane, or excuse me, John and Peter get thrown in jail and they're telling the people about the Lord Jesus and as a result while they're being put in jail it said the amount of believers went from 3,000 to about 5,000 2,000 people got born again John the ordinary plus God equals extraordinary because John was willing to learn Then in Acts chapter 8, it said that the apostles sent Peter and John to Samaria. What village cast them out in Luke 9? The Samaritan village. Those jokers who earlier said, No, Lord, you can't stay here because you don't, this is not where you're supposed to be. We don't want you here. And John being accused of wanting to cast down some lightning and thunder and set those those people on fire like Elijah. Now, John is being sent back there because there's a revival going on in Samaria. People are turning to the Lord left and right. It said many believers are coming to the Lord. It just goes to show you that when you make a mistake in your past, God can still redeem it. And he could send you right back to the mess you made and use you as a miracle in the middle of it all. Come on, there's got to be hope for somebody in this place today. That where you got it wrong last time, Jesus, you and Jesus, you the ordinary, with Jesus the supernatural equals extraordinary, there's hope for us. You might have got it wrong last year at home, but God will turn things around when you just get willing to learn. Oh, you might have fouled it up, man, big time. But when you just bow yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, make my heart willing, He'll send you right back into it and use you in an extraordinary way. The uh, Apostle Paul went on to write to the Galatian church in Galatians 2, And he said this about John. He said, John is a pillar to the church. Then, around 30, 40 or so years after a lot of the New Testament letters were written, John writes the Gospel of John around A.D. 90. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John around the same time. And he writes the book of Revelations all around the same time. I don't know why he waited or how, why the Lord exactly waited that long on him to write it that way that many years later. But perhaps John just had a few things to learn. I don't know. I'm just, that's me. I have no idea. What about you? I want to be close to the Lord. I just want to be close to him. I don't want to be close to him because I need something from him. I just want to be close to him because he loves me and I love him. I want my life to be open to him. I don't want to be hidden. I don't want to hide stuff from him. I want to be able to listen. I'd like to be able to get it right the first time. And not have to go around around that mountain. How about you? I want Him to use me for extraordinary things. Not for my fame and fortune, but for His glory and His honor. So that that, on that one day when my day comes, and He can look at me and I can hear Him say, Well done. days to be how about you